LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. G'day, I'm Scott Sanders. I'm Derek Hanna. Welcome to The One Thing. That was a seriously low-key Brisbane welcome from Derek then. I'm Derek Hanna. Everything's going all right up there today? Everything's fine. I've got everything under control in Brisbane. Thanks very much. How are things in Sydney, Scott? They are tip-top, tip-top. Now, welcome <laughs> welcome to The One Thing. One Thing is brought to you with thanks to the Geneva Push, the Australian Church Planning Network. We're also proudly part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. And you've pressed play on episode number 79 of The One Thing. The questions people are asking. So last week, uh, Scott, you were talking about self-awareness. Uh, this week, we're going to flip it a little bit. We're going to explore the question of uh, what other people are asking. Uh, these both the surface questions that people are asking around God and religion and spirituality. But I want to dig underneath that a little bit as well to think through uh, those kind of existential cries of the heart that we're seeing in Australia at the moment, in this cultural moment in Australia. And to do that, we are very thankful to be able to, to uh, have well-known evangelists and scholar with us, John Dixon. Welcome, John. Hey, thanks, Derek. And itinerant evangelist as well. I mean, there's so many things we can add to your uh, list. Uh, podcast presenter, writer, author, uh, Israel, tourist, guide. <laughs> <laughs> tourist guy. Yeah, okay. I'll accept uh, all of that, Scott. Documentary personality as well. Mm-hmm. And writer of, um, I think, a great Christian resource, Simply Christianity. Which yeah, I just think I've been doing one thing. I know it sounds complicated and people often make it more complicated. I've just been trying to make Christ public for quite a number of years. That's it. Well, that's, I think, a good segue into our first question. Give us a bit of a description of the sorts of sceptical crowds that you might speak to and that you're speaking to more regularly now. Well, uh, obviously, there are, there are the media types mm-hmm. um, where you know I've had to interact with you know, difficult questions from journalists and so on. Uh, but that's a very specific uh, demographic, let's mm. say, mm. and not actually that representative of of the major uh, kind of Australian mindset. But then there are the uh, people that I get in my lounge room when I'm running Simply Christianity or Life of Jesus courses. Yep. They tend to be people who have heard a little about the Christian faith and want to you know, drill down. And so that's another segment as well. And their questions are going to be different from what the journalist is asking. And then there's the questions I get when I'm teaching at Sydney University uh, from students, mm. uh, especially because I'm teaching a historical Jesus course. There are lots of questions about Jesus, but they're very skeptical questions as mm. well. And then there are just the Q&A sessions that I tend to do. So I, one of my favorite things is just giving a relatively short talk in a public venue and then taking 30, 40 minutes of questions. And uh, you can get anything, and that's why it's kind of exciting. So, what's the anything? What are the what? What are some of the anything questions that people have been asking? Oh boy! Well, the old questions are what we, you know, used to think were old questions haven't gone away. Mm. So there are the basic questions like, how do you trust the Bible? Yep. Right. Uh, you know, is Jesus really history? What's the existence of God? You know, can you demonstrate that? What about science and evolution and yep. all, all this? So those standard questions have not gone away. Mm. You, they, they used to be called the modernist questions mm. and they've been replaced by postmodernist questions. I just think that as we moved into a postmodern world and a post-postmodern world, people just uh, added more questions. They didn't throw out those old ones. Because yep. the interesting thing is you might be answering 
a modernist question, you know, how do we know Jesus even lived? And as soon as you've demonstrated that, they'll jump in with a postmodern question. Mm. Oh, but what is truth? Right. Uh, or it might go the other way around. They might be asking, oh, what is the nature of truth? How can you really know anything? Mm. And then you might give a philosophical answer to that. And then they say, but how do you know Jesus is true? Yep. And suddenly we're back to modernist questions. So the, it, there's a great range of questions uh, that are predictable. But I think the new ones are Old Testament violence. Yep. It really is surprising to me how often that comes up. And it's probably because Richard Dawkins has a whole chapter about it in mm. his famous uh, book, The mm. God Delusion. And people have picked up that that seems like a, an area where Christians are vulnerable. And related to that is the uh, the violence of church history, yep. which, of course, was the big theme of um, Christopher Hitchens' book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And he means everything. Mm. Uh, and so I think we've got to sort of talk about the Crusades and the Inquisitions and all that. Uh, questions about hell have have really come back to the fore amongst secularists. Mm. How could a God send people to hell? Uh, and of course, sexuality, same-sex marriage and related questions uh, really make Christianity seem implausible to a lot of people. Mm. And so for, for a lot of people, this is, you know, if you can find some way to answer that question, they'll go, okay, you're not as dumb and stupid and, you know, mean as I thought. I'll give you a listen on all the other things. Yep, yep. So, so can I ask those those questions? They're not smoke screens. Those questions they're genuine questions. But if you scratch beneath them, what what is it that people are asking? What are they looking for as they're answering that question? What's underneath? Well, often what's underneath is a fear, um, sometimes valid, that the church is uh, out to destroy your life. Mm. That it's not good. Uh, it's it's the mean controlling institution, and that manifests itself in questions about. You know, Old Testament violence, church history violence, as well as same-sex issues. Um, you know, you, because I mean, most people, frankly, are not same-sex attracted, right? I mean, mm. the, most people don't personally experience this. Uh, but the presenting issue, it seems to me, is um, partly they probably have friends who are LGBTQ. Um, or they just fear the church is um, a big, mean institution trying to control everyone's it's life. It's going to tell them what to do. I mean, and, yeah. and our culture's narrative is that, that we get to assert what we, who we are and, and who we want to be. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a real pushback in, um, you know, that it obviously just comes up in all those apologetic questions as people are asking. Yeah. So Simply Christianity, I think it's a great resource. It's a resource that I... I used, you know, numerous times at St. Clement's uh, in Mossman to uh, to walk someone through the gospel. It, it kicked off uh, with, you know, is the Bible true? Hmm. Uh, is that still a place that we need to go to, um, you know, in in any sort of evangelistic course? Or do we need to do we need to address some of these, you know, other presenting questions uh, before we get to is the Bible true? Can, you know, is Jesus historically uh, reliable as a as a figure? Y- Yes and no. Mm. Um, the reason for, for that beginning is that the goal of the course is to get people to read Luke's gospel mm. and encounter Jesus for himself. Uh, and the first question people ask when they're about to pick up a document, how do I know this is anything more than a fairy tale? Mm. So it sort of made sense in that context. But really the purpose of it is not to convince people you know, Jesus is true and you should become a Christian now through apologetics because mm. I don't believe in that kind of apologetics. Uh, what you're trying to do there is clear away the most obvious question mm. that pre- that prevents people from taking this document seriously. Mm. So once you sort of say, hey, this is a document from the first century. Uh, it's, you know, broadly uh, outlined by non-Christian 
references as well. People go, oh, okay. Oh, well, I'll read it then. Mm. And that's really the goal. Mm. So that they'll go, okay, I'm not going to read this as skeptically as I would have five minutes ago. And so they read it. And my goal in uh, that course was to get people confronting Jesus. Mm. He is the best thing we have going for us, mm. uh, which is kind of obvious. Some would say he's the only good thing we have going for us. Uh, and so because I'm, I'm firmly convinced the gospel we need to share with people is what's in the gospels, mm. you've got to get them reading a gospel, confronting the person, yep, his the teaching, his, yeah. And so, uh, but, 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 but my second sort of theory is that the life of Jesus will throw up all sorts of questions. Mm. So you just got to be ready for all of them. The gospel throws up the apologetic questions. Mm. Um, you don't have to answer all the apologetic questions before getting people to read a gospel. We're going to take uh, just a quick break. Scott, you've got some resources for us, tools. What do you got? Well, I thought given that we've got Dr. John with us that uh, we might hear, what are what are the three resources you're reading at the moment just uh, interacting with people's questions? So what are the three uh, books or, or or preachers that you're, that you're listening to? Well, obviously Tim Keller. Mm. Um, there's a British guy, uh, Michael Ramsden, who's, mm-hmm. I think, really thoughtful. Uh, there's a new book called Confronting Christianity. Uh, Who's that by? Uh, I've forgotten her name. Okay. Uh, it'll come back to me. Someone can find it. But it's uh, published <laughs> by Crossway. Yeah. Um, I read lots of sort of nerdy historical books that aren't really about apologetics mm. as well. I'm reading a book at the moment called Seeing the Word by Marcus Bockmuller, who's a professor at Oxford University. Uh, and it's uh, it's really a critique of the last 40 years of New Testament scholarship mm-hmm. and calling for a renewal. Uh, and it's it's fascinating and, and actually tangentially related to my work in trying to promote Christianity because this is a leader in the field mm-hmm. um, in a secular university who's basically saying the dogmatic skepticism of New Testament studies is ridiculous mm, mm. and not at all historical. Mm. <laughs> so it's a pretty, and he's not—he's not, he's not he's a, Christian a Christian apologist yeah, or yeah, anything yeah. like yeah. that. Um, he's not trying to promote, you know, apologetics or anything like that. Uh, but he just—he argues a very strong case. Anyway, that's the sort of thing I'm reading, and, and but I'm also pondering how that might relate to the kind of work that I do. And you've just started a new podcast called Undeception. Oh yeah. Yeah, that too. So you could li- you might want to listen to that as well. Yeah. What are some of the deceptions that you're tackling? Uh, science. Uh, we interviewed John Lennox uh, for one episode. Mm. And uh, Ard Louis, who's professor of theoretical physics at Oxford University, top yep. of the tree. His specialty is how did inanimate matter become animate life? This right. sounds like a long form this sounds like a long form podcast. Well, but more he's, than fifteen minutes. He's also really stimulating and is and is an expert in uh, in uh, molecular gastronomy, which okay. is making food using he's chemistry. He's a Heston. It's amazing. So that's a fun interview. But then you know uh, we mix it up pretty uh, clearly because uh, the very next episode is on American football. Okay. And uh, Christianity in American football. So are you are you taking time out to interview someone from the Green Bay Packers? Is yeah. That, so it's really just yeah. your mates. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's John talking to his mates. Yeah. So <laughs> excellent. And, and it was it was fantastic. But you get to hear one of the star Green Bay Packers, the biggest yep. point scorer in Packers history, um, say that Christ frees him to play on the field. Yeah. So he's not worried about whether he has a terrible game or a good game. 
he's free and mm. actually makes him play better. Mm. So uh, it's a really interesting the American, thing. Yeah, I'm a Jets fan, so we are probably going to have another terrible season this year. But that's okay. Uh, we're gonna keep, <laughs> we'll, keep, we'll keep trying along. We, we need to get back to uh, engaging, uh, engaging the sceptical. So I'll, I'll hand it back over to Derek. John, I'd love to dig into for you as you've been uh, you've been engaging with people, you know, the media who are hostile, but but just the people who are asking questions of life. Um, how is it that you've seen? Can you talk us through the path where you're seeing between they their first engagement with the idea of the church and Christianity? And that moment where they come to see actually Jesus is who he said he was. How is it that people's pathway uh, has changed? You've seen it changed or, yeah, what's been happening there? It's a difficult question to answer because individuals Mm. are individual. Uh, But I'll just Mm. say one thing that stands out to me is people need to see what you're talking about embodied in a Christian community in order to have the trust to listen to what the Christian community is saying. Mm. So there's a very mixed view of church in mm. Australian society. It isn't entirely negative. Uh, the data that we have suggests it is half negative, <laughs> hypocritical, judgmental, mm. all that. But l- m- most Australians still have sitting in their head an almost contrary perception of the church as those guys who, you know, look after you and, you know, they knock on your door because they're the salvos and loving, kind, right? So you've got this sort of split view of of Christianity. And the smallest hint of bully Christianity Mm. and you activate that half of people's perception Mm. Mm. easily. But the smallest hint of that generous, gracious Christianity, people go, oh, yeah, that's right. That's the Christianity that that the founder was on about. Mm. What I guess what I'm saying is, whereas maybe in you know 50 years ago it was possible just to present the message and for people to go, I already trust the institution mm. giving the message, and here's the message. Oh, I believe or I don't believe. Now uh, there is there is an ethos problem. Mm. You know the, the distinction between logos, pathos, and ethos. Logos is the intellectual argument. Pathos is the emotional connection. Mm. Ethos is the social or moral. Uh, virtue or character of the persuader. Mm. These are Aristotle's categories. But but I think we see it in Scripture as well. So, you know, lots of Scriptures say, like Peter says, you know, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason that you, uh, you know, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Mm. Keep a clear conscience so that those who mock your good behavior in Christ will be ashamed. So Peter still thinks there needs to be a life and a tone mm that is theologically expressing the grace of the gospel. Mm. And unless the kind of, you know, the outsider today can somehow see that loving, gracious version of Christianity that is sitting in the back of their mind, unless they can see it when they hear the gospel, it's very difficult for them to give us a good hearing. Mm. And and you've made the distinction there is there is the perception of the church, but there is the individual Christian who is often the gracious, loving, uh, generous person who's who's there on the doorstep when yeah. everyone else is gone. So I think I think the you know the media's portrayal and our perception of the church and the animosity our culture has towards that is very different to the you know just the personal opportunities that we have as as Christians. But there's a there's a, there's a there's a loss of confidence, I guess, in the church 
you know, a ga- the gathering of individuals all, you know, all throughout Australia. Well, in- indeed. I mean, in the Royal Commission that we've just mm. um, gone through uh, has exposed a darkness in, um, in, in the church, a darkness that was covered up. Mm. And, and that's like a double whammy. That's the, the evil of evils, not just the evil itself, but the evil of covering it up, pretending it wasn't so, there. So given that, it's, it's, not, it's not so much having the perfectly phrased apologetic answer then, is mm. it? You're not, you're not pushing for that. No. Um, but you are pushing for an answer that is clothed in gentleness, respect, yeah. love. I often say to Christians, you know how to answer every single question out there. Mm. You might not know what to answer, <laughs> but you know how. Mm. Uh, because we're told gentleness and respect, or Paul in Colossians 4 says, uh, always with grace, mm. so that you may know how to answer everyone. So um, I, I do think we should try to know what to answer. Like uh, if, if people say, you know, what are the three reasons you think God exists? It'd be good to say something, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, you know, just to have an answer. But really it's it's your the, the grace that you show when you answer. Um the kind of the the obvious evidence that you're animated by mm. this God you've met uh, so, that is going to be impactful. At least give people a reason to listen to you. That's what I'm saying. See, I said earlier, I don't think of apologetics as the way you convince people to become mm. Christians. But I do think of apologetics as the human way people go, oh, okay, I'll listen to your message then. Mm. Mm. So, so we've just had in New South Wales, for those listening outside of New South Wales and around mm. the world, we've just had a... A, a very a polarizing debate again around uh, about around abortion, mm-hmm. um, and that there's been a hold, uh, mm. and probably by the time this podcast goes, the the legislation will have passed. Around engaging in in a topic like that, um, what advice would you give to our listeners on on engaging well in that space? Tread very carefully. Yeah. I mean, uh, like the same sex marriage debate, I, I often feel the first thing that has to be said when trying to answer this question is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way we've let biblical convictions lead to pretty unchristian ways of speaking. Mm. And that's certainly true on the same-sex marriage thing, Um, but it's also true in abortion. Like we can launch straight into an anti-abortion argument. Mm. And personally, I do think the pro-life argument is massively superior intellectually Mm. to the um, pro-choice argument. But there are women, um, many of them, who have been profoundly affected by this Mm. and were, for various reasons, pushed into a terrible decision. And if they just hear the cool logic of the pro-life position, um, they're just not in a headspace to listen to Mm. it. Mm. But if there's a sense that, you know, we've really messed up here and we've, we've let our convictions run ahead of our kindness... If people hear that you recognise that, they go, okay, well, okay, thanks, but like, what's your argument now? Mm, mm. And and that's you know gives you permission to talk mm. about it. Can I ask, John? You've you're an Anglican minister. You've led a church. Um, I'd love to have you walk around on my shoulder as well with me to answer these questions. But the reality <laughs> is, most people don't have that kind of uh, historical uh, background, PhDs, nor the graciousness always to answer in the way they might want to. Mm. How have you equipped? Um, the churches that you've led, the people in there to to do that? And how have you spoken to them about their confidence? Yeah. Well, I've done the normal things like run courses on evangelism and apologetics. Mm. And I think I even wrote a book on it once called Promoting the Gospel, or it's got some other name now. 
uh, best kept secret of Christian mission, where I sort of go through, you know, what it means to reach out to others and so mm. on. So I'm very committed to doing this, but you know, in the end, I've come to the view the most important evangelism, apologetics training program on the market right now is the weekly expositor of God's word mm. who takes the time in every sermon to think, as I'm teaching this to God's people, what is the question their friend might ask mm. of this passage? And I'm going to make sure I break out for three or four minutes, maybe longer, in every sermon to answer the question, not in a really hammed up way, like, now we're going to talk about what your non-Christian friend might say. No, no. it could just be as simple as going, you know, there's a really good question this passage throws up. You know, can we really believe in a the God of judgment in a in a culture like today? Mm. Which, mm. Right. So um, the value of doing this in every sermon is twofold. One, your people, the, the believers, will feel more confident bringing their friends to no church. matter what yep. the week is. It doesn't have to be an outreach series. They just know the preacher will have something there for the outsider. For the outsider. Yep. But number mm. two, you are over the long term, drip, 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 equipping, equipping people, not just with content, but mm. style. Mm. So you don't break out into three months, three minutes going, Richard Dawkins is such an idiot. Let me show you how yeah. stupid he is. Cause they're not going to try that at the water cooler the next day. But if it's, if you model a gracious, thoughtful tone, interacting with difficult questions, they'll go, I think I could do that. We might put in the show notes uh, a link to a resource. Our, our Stuart gave a great workshop on on doing just that, preaching Beautiful. to audiences. Mm. Well, that brings this us has to become the... my favourite podcast. Actually, just after that comment, I'm going to put that on a loop and send it out to everyone. That bit. Um, <laughs> well, that sorry, brings, Scott. Go. That brings us to the end of, so, end of the show. So, John, what's the one thing people should be taking away when it comes to answering people's questions? Sympathy. Sympathy with the questioner, because nine times out of ten not 10 out of 10, but nine times out of 10, it's a real question. And they've got a reason in their experience or psychology for asking that question. And so we have to be sympathetic to where it's coming from. And if and if you are sympathetic to the questioner and to the question, mm. uh, you're going to be in a much better headspace to try hard to communicate with them, whatever the answer is. Excellent. That's Thanks, great. John. Excellent. Just to uh, finish off, just let us remind you, it's October, uh, ministrygrid.com.au is on sale this month. Uh, go on to ministrygrid.com.au. Uh, We've we talk, been talking today about courses and training, uh, some things you can uh, only do face-to-face, that is model empathy and sympathy and graciousness. Um, but we want to work out how we train and equip people all throughout church, uh, even when we can't get them face-to-face. Ministry is a great way to do that. Uh, go on to ministrygrid.com and check it out. Anyway, that's the end of The One Thing. If you uh, like what you heard today, go on and rate it on iTunes and even leave a comment. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The One Thing. Coming up in our next episode, Scott, what have we got? We're going back for a second helping. John's going to hang around to answer the question, do we need to defend the Bible? Excellent. Well, I'm Derek Hanna. And I'm Scott Sanders. Chat soon. (laughs) 